Awesome. Love it. Love it. So we are in Acts chapter 2 this morning. We have actually moved, after a month, we have moved into a whole uh, new chapter. It's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm excited as we go through the book of Acts and what we're going to be looking at um, this morning. These are some of the most important words that we're going to find penned within the scriptures. One of the most important sections of scripture. And, and you say, well, Travis, there's so many. Yes, you're right. Because there's so many, as you read through the entire Bible, there's so many awesome passages and so many great sections of scripture. Why is it that this is so amazing? One, because we see something new and amazing happening for the very first time in all of scripture. And as we look at Acts chapter 2, we see the beginning of the church. We see the beginning and the giving of the Holy Spirit. We see the power that the world will be able to receive the gospel message. And so when we read this section of scripture, it just really should, should get into our very soul and just get us going. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is where we're going to be at. And here's what I hope that you learn here this morning. The Holy Spirit gives us power to accomplish His plans. That's what we're looking at. Together, we have the Holy Spirit. Now, in order to understand this, we have to continue always looking at the setting. So what is the setting for our Scripture? And we're going to be doing that. As we go through any section of Scripture, we need to look at what is happening. Because we love to take Scripture and make it fit our needs, right? Like we can take a calendar and we pick out our favorite scriptures and we just make it fit for whatever we need that day. But when we look at scripture, we need to see the full context and the full setting of what is happening. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This establishes our setting. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've discovered that these first followers, and we've talked about we're shifting and we're moving forward together. Well, before they move forward together, they were told to wait. Jesus said to these first disciples, hey, I want you to go into Jerusalem and wait. I want you to stay. Now, they were excited. They were ready to go. They wanted to go back to their hometowns. They wanted to go everywhere, but yet Jesus told them at this moment, to stay. And before that they could do that, before they could go and witness into Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the world, they had to have the Holy Spirit coming upon them. So they have returned from the Mount of Olives where they had watched Jesus ascend into heaven. And now, so they're back in Jerusalem, they're waiting for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So where are they? They're in Jerusalem. So the setting is going to be in Jerusalem. We talked this last, last week that they were in the upper room. Okay, there was a big group of them that were gathered. Probably about 120 is what we're told. And we're told that it happened on Pentecost. Well, what does Pentecost mean? In the Greek, it means 50th. Well, why is that important? Well, 50th was how many days the church started after the resurrection of Jesus. From the crucifixion, 53 days. So this refers to the Feast of Shovet, held 50 days after the second day of Passover. So Pentecost was one of three of the, the great Old Testament festivals where all of the people were to travel, they were to pilgrim, pilgrimage to Jerusalem to pay home, to, 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 to give their taxes, to, um, to give their 
sacrifices. So this was one of three times that they would travel to Jerusalem. So everyone has gathered. They, they've gathered for Passover. Now they're gathering again for Pentecost. Well, when does this take place? It was about the second week of June. Okay, so good weather, good traveling weather to get to Jerusalem. They, they all come, and so all of this is happening. There's, there's all kinds of travelers, visitors traveling to get to Jerusalem. And, and the phrase, when the day of Pentecost arrived, it literally means had been completely fulfilled. So Pentecost had been fulfilled. The festival is basically over. It's a lot like the thought that's found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. The fullness of time. It was now time for Jesus to have come. Now is the time for the church. The fullness of time had come. It was time for the church to begin. The idea is not that Pentecost just happened, but rather this particular Pentecost fulfilled its eternally determined destiny. It is now time, Luke, to fulfill your destiny. Really? Oh, never mind, forget it. Maybe you guys will wake up, you're still too cold. Maybe next week, yeah, it'll sink in, or it just wasn't funny at all, so we'll go with that one. All right. Also, notice the believers, I love this again, they were all together in one place. Justin will like this, it's a musical term. It means that they were all on the same notes. He loves it when the whole team is doing the same note at the same time on Sunday morning, okay? We all love that as well, okay? But that it's a musical term, meaning that they were all together, that they were in one accord. And here's the thing, this happens three different times here in the book of Acts. Just in the first, three, or in the first two chapters, three times we hear this. Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Acts 2.44, and all who believed were gathered or were together and had all things in common. Acts 2.46, and day by day attending the temple together. Think about what someone would have missed had they slept in that morning. That they said, oh, I don't want to get up and I'm just going to not roll out of bed this morning. The good thing is, at least you get to be online with us this morning, which we're on Facebook, and if Facebook is messing up, you go directly to the website, and hopefully that one's not messing up if you're online. But there's nothing better than being together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, gathering together, and that's what they were doing. They had been split. We talked about that last week. The disciples had been split, but now they're all together. They are coming together. It reminds me of the, the young boy who was sick. It was Palm Sunday. He stayed home. His family went off to church. They come home and they're carrying their palm branches when they return home. And the boy asked what, what he missed at church. And the father said, well, son, the reason that we have these palm branches is because um, when Jesus arrived back into, his ta into the town, they were waving palm branches. The son goes, wow, the one Sunday that I miss church, Jesus shows up. Don't miss out, please. Please don't miss. Be here together. Come together. Be a part. And, and here's the thing. Oh, Travis is saying we've got to have a big worship service. Yeah, we do. Because we have to gather together. But here's the thing. It's not just about having big church. We need to have little church as well. 
We need to be in life groups. We need to be in small groups and, and, and women's groups and men's groups, showing up to fellowship times, really spending time together, being a part of the activities that we do at the church. That is what we have been called to do. And when we look at this particular section of Scripture, there were some spectacular signs that accompanied the beginning of the church. So I want to break down those three spectacular signs. The very first one is power. We see power. The first sign is audible and is found in, in verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The word suddenly means this sound came abruptly, unexpectedly, immediately. They were all caught off guard completely. This was not an, an actual wind, but a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It can be translated as violent, blasting, or a roar. What does a tornado sound like? Like a train. Okay, it's not a train. Okay, it doesn't go choo-choo. But it sounds like a train. If you've ever, you know, just heard a train coming, you know what it sounds like. A tornado. Well, this wind, it wasn't just a mighty wind, but it sounded. There was power behind this mighty wind that was coming through. Notice that they were sitting as well. This is very important for us to understand because if they had been praying for the Holy Spirit, they wouldn't have been sitting. Because in the Jewish culture, they would have been kneeling or they would have been laying down. It wasn't that they ushered in the Holy Spirit. They weren't, they weren't asking for it, and so God said, okay, yeah, I'll give it to you. No, it came unexpectedly. They weren't expect. now they were all gathered, gathered together. They knew it was going to come, but they didn't realize that it was going to come at this exact moment. But they were waiting for it. You see, the Holy Spirit comes unexpectedly when we're just doing what God has asked us to do. The word for wind is also the word for spirit and represents the power of God. We see this at the very beginning of, of Scripture. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Power is the first thing that we see. Number two, presence. The first sign of the invisible Spirit is extremely loud, and secondly, the second sign is just incandescently bright. Look at verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Notice the flame separated and came to rest where? On each of them. Very important. It wasn't just a select few. Oh, you get it and you get it. No. And you get one and you get one and you get one. Everyone gets one. And that's very important because some go, oh, well, the Holy Spirit only falls upon a select few. And if you've only done certain things and if you've only done, no, 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 no. The moment, the moment that you give yourself over to the Lord, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it falls upon everyone. And that's so, so important. No one was left out. No one was excluded. Fire in the Bible also represents God's purifying presence we read about this in Acts chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Power, spirit, fire. We also read about this in Acts, Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. 
the, the fire, the power of God led the people through the desert. And the Lord went before them by day in a power and a pillar of cloud and to lead them among the way, along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might not travel, but they might travel by day and by night. We see power, we see bright light going along with this coming of the Holy Spirit. And these first two spectacular signs are found together in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. We see God's power and his presence on display here. It says, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. So we see these two here at the very beginning. And then number three, we have a proclamation. The third stunning sign of the Spirit is verbal and found in verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So when all of these believers were filled, they were all together in one, one place, and the Holy Spirit descends upon them. We have this power, we have the brightness, and now as these tongues appear before them and come upon them, they are able to refer, they're able to speak in, in uh, intelligible languages. Now, these were languages unknown to the speakers, and that's very, very important for us to be clearly understood, that those that came together and this is the amazing thing. So when the, the sound goes off, everyone goes, what just happened? How many of you, when the transformer blows outside, immediately go outside to look? You're like, what was it? You hear it, and the sound, that you have the sound, you have the sight, and you're like, what was that? And immediately you go outside to, so you can see what happens. And immediately you, you checked it out. Well, that's what happened here. So they're in the upper room, and when they're all together, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, big boom, big brightness, and everybody goes, hey, let's go check that out. We need to go see what was happening. And so they all came to, to, to this one area, and remember, they all came together from, from all over. And so all of these dialects, and we're going to talk about those here in just a second, but all of these dialects, all of these tongues came together, and, and they all heard it in their own language. And that's so important I want you to notice that this is not a prayer language in this case. That's very important. That this was not, um, that this was real languages understood by people from other countries. Look at verses five through six. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, the word for bewildered means that they were confounded, they were confused. All of a sudden, they were hearing praises of God in their own tongue. Why were they astonished? Well, why were they hearing this delecto, Greek? We get dialect, we get all of the different tongues and languages. And the people are particularly unsettled because the men that they were hearing speaking were speaking that had never studied these other languages. Look, look at verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galilean? 
Now that's important for us to really understand. They were beside themselves. They were out of their minds because how in the world are we hearing this in our own language? Because these guys are, are Galileans. Listen to the responses recorded in just the first four chapters of the book of Acts. Acts 2, 43. And all came upon every soul. Acts 3, verse 10 says, And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Acts 4, 13 now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Now, it, it makes me wonder, why are we not more amazed today? Why aren't we in awe of the things that God is doing today? Are we just over sensitized to everything that we're just desensitized and we don't really get excited about the things that we should we need to be in awe of the working of jesus every single day we need to be in awe of the mighty works of god the father we need to be in awe of what the holy spirit is doing in our lives we need to be doing that more and again it's really striking because these guys were galileans now, what do you mean by that? Well, they were the hicks and the rednecks of the area. And I resemble that remark. And I'm good with that. I'm perfectly okay with that. Don't say redneck, Travis. Oh, whatever. It's me. It, Amen. Thank you. See? They had a distinct dialect. They struggled. I struggle to make certain utterances and sounds you've been with me long enough you know what i'm talking about i'm going to get to a few of those here in just a minute but we're not there yet but when they when, when they tried when, when these galileans when they tried to speak the aramaic when they tried to speak the hebrew they had a hard time with some of the guttural sounds that they had to make and, and they just couldn't speak it the way that they were supposed to and now all of a sudden they can speak clearly in my language what I mean, they were in awe of everything that they were seeing. Verse 8 says, And how is it that we each hear of us in his own native language? And when we consider verses 9 through 11, and we see all of the ge geographical areas that these pilgrims came from, it's remarkable. Corinthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phyria, and Philate, whatever, see, I told you. Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Fifteen, listen, fifteen countries, three continents, and they were each hearing it in their own language. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why they were in awe. When these first missionaries returned to their countries, they lived on mission. They were, they, they were spreading the sweet savor of the gospel. In one generation, the gospel exploded everywhere. It went back to at least three different continents. It went to at least 15 countries. And we know that it definitely spread more than just that. But these people were from those areas. And they took it back. What are we doing? 
staying here in Stafford. Moving back to Texas. Moving to California. Well, that's its own area. <laughs> moving back to West Virginia. Moving to Montana. Moving to Florida. And we need to do, listen, we need to do so. But are we spreading the gospel message where we go? Are, are we allowing the Spirit to work inside us, to get out there and to spread the word. And here's the thing, and I love this. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb of God. The gospel message spread everywhere. All nations, all tribes. That's awesome. Now let's go back to the very beginning. Go back to Adam and Eve. We go all the way back, and sin entered into the world with Adam and Eve. And when sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, they, they were made in God's image, and they were given one goal, right? Yes, multiply. And so they did. After sin entered into the world, humans were more interested in making a name for themselves than making God's name great. After this all happened, instead of filling the earth, they came together in rebellion against God. And what do they decide they want to do? They decide that they want to make a tower to make it all the way to earth. Or, they were already on the earth. See, told you. They want to make it all the way to heaven. That's their goal, right? We're going to get up there. And so what does God do with the Tower of Babel? He takes all of their languages and he disperses them. And now they, they no longer have a common tongue. We see a reversal here in Acts chapter 2. And that's so important for us to be able to truly see in this case. The wording in Acts 2 along with the references of, of languages and many nations makes me think of Pentecost as that reversal of what happened to the Tower of Babel. Instead of let us make a name for ourselves, let's spread the glory of God. And that's exactly what they did. In Acts 2, we see the Spirit of God coming down to proclaim salvation by making the gospel intelligible in all languages. I love what happens in Genesis chapter 11, or I'm sorry, in Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Abraham. Do you know the first word to him? Go. I want you to leave your home, and I want you to go. Now for all of us, a lot of us, we would say, um, can I know the plan? Um, what's my ultimate destination? Um, where are there stops along the way? Are we there yet? <laughs> Am I going to be able to find a hotel to stay in? What's going to happen with all of my servants and all of my kids and, and all of that? What, what's Abraham say? All right. And he just goes. One commentator reminds us 
we're called to be sojourners, not settlers. He says many churches need to be summoned forcefully out of a merely settler mindset to a pilgrim mindset. If the settler mindset dominates a church, we will not reach our neighborhoods or our networks of unbelievers or the nations of the world for Christ. It, it isn't just missionaries that need a risk-taking, comfort-disturbing, semi-nomadic pilgrim mindset. We all do. If we want to make an impact, we can't just go... I have my seat on Sunday mornings and I know where my seat is and nobody better be sitting in it. We have to say we're going to come together and be all together in one accord and then we need to go. That's what we've been called to do. While these spectacular signs were unique and unrepeatable in this moment, we're all called to live out their significance. That's what we've been called to do. Since the Holy Spirit gives us power to accomplish His plans, here are a couple significant truths that we need to apply into our lives. Number one, the Holy Spirit has been universally poured out on all believers. I talked about that earlier, but I want to say that again. If you've given your life over to Jesus Christ, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of you. In the Old Testament, God's Spirit settled upon a few select believers to do certain tasks. But since the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us all. And this fulfills what we read in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17. Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the word cannot receive who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you so understand that you have the moment that you gave your life over to Jesus Christ you have the indwelling of the holy spirit number 2 God's plan is to spread the glory of the gospel to all nations through you, through the church. It's for all of us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, a lot of people, especially the, the Catholics, they say that, that th these words were given to Peter, and he is the first pope, and, and he is the one that this message was given to. No, 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 no. What you need to understand, he will build his kingdom upon that rock, not Peter. Peter isn't the rock. Peter's the little rock. It's the confession that Peter made at that moment. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. That is the rock. That is what the church will be built upon. And we need to remember that. The gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail against these words. God's plan is to use you to spread the gospel. That is the truth. Ephesians 3.10 says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities and in the heavenly places. 
It's our job to take it to the message to everyone. To everyone. And that's very important. David Platt puts it like this. He says, the church is God's plan A. There is no plan B. We are God's plan. There's many times that I go, you sure you don't want to um, rethink that, God? Because I'm a mess. You can't use me. There's got to be somebody better than me. And if you've ever felt that way, I want you to know that you're not alone. But here's the thing. You have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And because you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, you can do all things through Christ. And that's what we have to hold on to. And it's up to us to do that task. It's up to me. And it's up to you. And it's the Spirit inside of you that will do that work. Number three, all believers are now empowered to be witnesses for Christ. The meaning of Pentecost was not to encourage believers to have an aesthetic experience for their own edification, but they they would be empowered to live on mission. With the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have been empowered to be His witnesses. In order to accomplish Acts 1-8, they had to wait on the Holy Spirit. Not again did any of the disciples question the resurrection or question what they were called to do. They did it. And they went. And that's what we have. Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Guess what? That word is still to you today. The Holy Spirit gives us power to accomplish His plans. When the Holy Spirit fills us, Acts 4.31 gives us our task. And when they had prayed, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak. They were together and they prayed and the Spirit came upon them and they spoke with great boldness. So we've looked at the setting, the signs, the significance related to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Let's conclude with a summary. How are people to respond and how will people respond when we give the word? There's just two primary responses, right? It's it's simple. Number one, some will be receptive. Some. Not all. It would be awesome. Some. Look at verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This group was open and wanted to know more. Their questions, and here's the thing, next week we're going to dive into Peter's message. And we're going to see great boldness coming out of that message. And people, they, they all gathered together. They wanted to hear what was going to be said. And to be perplexed meant that they had some doubt. Well, here's the thing. If you're here this morning and you have some doubt, it's okay. You have a lot of doubt. It's okay. But we've been called to come together and we've been called to share that gospel message. Some will be receptive. Number two, others are resistant. We see this in verse 13, but others mocking said 
they are filled with new wine. Now the new wine that was mentioned here was cheap harvest wine. It was highly intoxicating, and this group was, was closed. They wanted nothing to do with what was happening in this moment. Instead of being amazed, they chose to mock. To mock means they thought it was just all a big joke. They were using insults. They turned up their nose. Even a miracle won't convince a mocker. How are you going to respond today? Will you be receptive? Or you will, will you be resistant? Are you going to make fun? Are you going to move forward in faith? Are you going to shift to that next gear? I'm reminded of the response to one of Paul's sermons. Acts chapter 17, he's gathered a huge group of people and he preaches Christ crucified. He preaches the resurrection to all the people. And in Acts chapter 17, this is what we read. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Some just mocked. Others responded and said, hey, can we hear more about that? You may be thinking right now to your neighbor, to your coworker, to some of your family that you've spread, you shared the gospel message with, and you're like, oh, they just don't get it. It's time to give up. Here's the thing. The moment that you're tired of talking about a certain topic is the moment that people start listening. Don't ever get tired. Don't ever give up. Don't quit sharing the gospel message because you never know when that one person might say, hey, can I hear more about this? I've been telling you for 10 years and now you want to hear? Forget it. No, no, we can't do that, right? But sometimes that's the mentality that we have, right? We do that with our children. We tell them time and time and time and time and time again. And then one more time and then we're like, I give up, I'm done. This is never going to work. She's never going to get her license. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? And then she says, hey, Dad, I'm ready. Or, or you're really trying to get through to that one person, and you're just like, I'm going to give up. They, they, they just don't listen. And then at 3 o'clock in the morning, you get a text. Hey, I was thinking about something you said at work last week. And you're like, um... Um, can we talk tomorrow? I'm tired. All right, let's go get some coffee. Are we willing to share the message? Because here's the thing. When just one is saved, the angels are rejoicing. It's up to us. What are we going to do? The Holy Spirit has come upon us, but it's now up to us of what we're going to choose to do with it. Some are going to mock, some are going to resist, but others will be receptive. And we just need to really be there for them at that moment. And maybe you're here this morning. You've been kind of standoffish, but now you need to hear more. 
today can be the day that you start fresh and you give your life over to Jesus. That you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if you need to know more about what that looks like in your life, I'm going to be in the back and the elders are going to be in the back. If you're online, I'd love for you to reach out to us. We want to share with you about what it means to give your life over to Him. Over the years, I've talked about who's your one more. I want to bring it up again. Who's your one person this week that you can pray for and that you can ask the Spirit to give you boldness to share the gospel with again? Maybe for the first time. All it takes is one. Share the message. We're also going to take communion. And we have it stationed on the sides, in the back, and up, up front. And we're going to continue our worship. We're going to continue to sing. And, and when you're ready, you, you can get your communion. When you're ready, if you, need to, if you need to come to the back to talk to one of us for prayer, if you're ready to make that commitment, we're going to be back there. We're going to worship, and maybe you just need to stay seated where you're at right now during the worship because you just need to spend that time with God. You, please do so. If you need to stand and you need to raise your hands, you can do so. But let's make sure that we're not holding back because we're afraid about what someone else might think. Huh. We're afraid to sing too loudly because we're afraid that the person sitting next to us might be offended of our voice. We're, t we're told to make a joyful noise. And it may not be pleasing to the person sitting next to you, but guess who it is pleasing to? That's right. So whatever decision you have to make this morning, I, I ask that you make it. That, that you, you commit to follow Jesus, that you commit to being that better, stronger Christian, that, that you give up whatever it is that's in your life. We can all do so. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I thank you so much for your son, the fact that he came and he lived and he shared and he was perfect in every way. And Father, that, that he, he lived the life that we couldn't live, that He died the, the, the death that we couldn't die. And now, Father, as He has ascended into heaven to sit at Your right hand, You have sent down Your Holy Spirit to indwell within us, to make a difference in the world. And Father, that we will see so, and that we will follow what You have called us to do, that we will be Your hands and Your feet, that we will be Your mouthpiece, that we will share the message with everyone that we come in contact with. And Father, as we take of communion, we just bring everything before the foot of the cross, and we take our sins of this past week and over our lives, and we lay them at the foot of the cross, and we say, Lord, I can't do it on my own. Thank You for sending us Your Son. And so, Father, we thank you for this bread and this juice that represents everything that your Son embodied. That he is our ultimate sacrifice that sets us free. As we continue our worship, Father, if there is someone here that needs to accept you, that, that needs to make a decision, that, Lord, you will help them to guide them in making that path. We pray all of this in your Son's name.
Amen.